0: for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com L-E-V-A-R. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Brick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Airport, Chicago, Illinois. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all of the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. And if you need a place to start with Audible... Search for Kelly Link's collection of incredibly imaginative and fantastic short stories entitled Get in Trouble. You will definitely be in for a fun adventure. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text L-E-V-A-R to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Hey, y'all. If you are in the Chicagoland area and want to come to a taping of the podcast... I'll be doing LeVar Burton Reads live on March 23rd, and this is a brand new development. My guest will be Nettie Okorafor. I'll be reading another one of her stories with live musical accompaniment, and Nettie and I will sit down for a conversation afterward. That's March 23rd at the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, part of WBEZ's podcast Passport. Tickets are available at wbez.org forward slash events. That's LeVar Burton Reads Live. I'll see you there, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hi, I'm Lavar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love And I hope you will, too. And today, I am so excited to be able to share with you a story by Nettie Okorafor. It's from her short fiction collection, Kabu Kabu, published by Prime Books. Now, Nettie calls herself a writer of strange things. You can't box her up because she's written fantasy, she's written science fiction, uh, tales of magical realism. She said that even when she tries to write true stories, the magic just creeps in, and, and it does. HBO is developing her novel Who Fears Death as a series with none other than George R.R. R. Martin as executive producer. Cannot wait to see this when it comes out. Her work has won a Hugo, the Nebula, the World Fantasy Award, as well as the Wole Soyinka Prize for African Literature. And she just released a third book in her beautiful Binti trilogy. The story that I'm reading today follows a group of schoolgirls who have a very unusual experience with the animal kingdom. As Nnedi has explained... She was inspired by a real story that her mother told her about something that happened to her as a child. And as always, Nettie just took it and ran with it. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Ah. <sighs> The Baboon War, by Nettie Okorafor. My father and I thought my little sister was crazy. We were at the kitchen table sipping hot tea and eating leftover jollof rice when she came home. We were home because of the strange, heavy rains. All the fishermen were. Fifteen minutes ago, a storm had rushed in out of nowhere. Thankfully, we hadn't thrown our nets out yet. A weird morning indeed. It was about to get weirder. My little sister walked into the house. She looked like hell, soaked from head to toe. She was supposed to be at school. My first thought was that the odd storm had torn the roof off the school, but the entire school, roof and all, was made of concrete. She'd have been safer there than in the house. Then my heart leapt as I noticed the bleeding cuts and scratches on her cheeks and arms. There was a deep gash in her left leg, the blood running down, staining her white, wet socks red. Her uniform was torn in the front, back, And sides. She was spattered and smeared with mud. Her school books were so wet they were practically mush, but she was smiling, smiling triumphantly. I wondered if she'd taken a blow to the head. My father and I rushed to her. M.M., oh my God, what happened? My father exclaimed. He took her face into his hands and touched a cut on her brow. I knelt down for a closer look at the gash on her leg. I shuddered. It looked more like a series of small puncture wounds. What the hell did that, I wondered. Come, sit down, my father said. He didn't wait for an answer, pulling her to the dinner table and sitting her in one of the chairs. My sister giggled as she sat, and my father and I gave each other a worried look. I quickly prepared a cup of tea for her. Put in two tea bags, she insisted in her high voice. I frowned. She liked her tea bitter, but too much caffeine stunts your growth. Granted, M.M. was already tall for a ten-year-old, but we certainly didn't want to stop the process. A tall woman in our clan fetches a high bride price, and with such height, not even her husband will mind if she went to school past her teens. M.M. was definitely made for school. Not only was she at the top of her class, but she loved both reading books and the work and craft of fishing. I looked at my father. He nodded. Just for today, he said. I set the dark tea in front of her. She didn't move to take it immediately as she normally did. She loved tea She always snatched at her cup of it, afraid that my father or I would change our minds and take it away. Instead, she played with the bracelet around her wrist as she gazed at her tea. She'd made it from three tiny bronze bells she found on the beach a few weeks ago after a torrential storm. The night before, some fishermen said they'd seen something like a falling star streak across the sky and land in the forest that borders the water. I didn't think anything of it at the time. People are always seeing strange things in the forest. I myself have seen several tungwa floating amongst the trees as I've canoed my way home at night. I flashed my torch on one once. Tungwas really do look like floating skin balls. This had dark brown skin. The little bells my sister had found looked harmless and common, like something that might have fallen from a girl's fancy dress or a child's toy. M.M. had strung them on some old rope and made a bracelet out of it. M.M. softly placed an object on the table. It pulsated and hummed every time those bells on her wrist tinkled. What is that? My father asked, sitting across from and gazing at it. I preferred to stay a few steps away. Whenever I looked straight at it, my eyes dried out and my heart beat irregularly. I felt a squeezing in the back of my throat and tasted a metallic tang on my tongue. And in the back of my mind, I swear I saw clouds burst and waters rise. My little sister looked at me with the eyes of a girl who had conquered great things Then she started telling us a very bizarre tale. As she spoke, my father and I realized we hadn't been paying enough attention to M.M., so wrapped up we were in pulling fish from the waters. They'd been so plentiful of late, how could you really blame us? As Mama told me the day before she passed, a family must survive. I guess. I sat down beside M.M., Despite the object on the table, I sat protectively beside her and listened to every word she said. The war started ten days ago. M.M. and her two closest friends, Nka and Asan, had been walking to school together since they were five years old. They considered each other sisters. Because they lived near the ocean, their walk was longer than most of the other girls, about 25 minutes. They usually got to school with little time to spare. M.M. never complained. She'd always been one to analyze a situation and, if there was no way to improve it, accept and work with it. Of course, if there was a way to make it better, she'd move heaven and earth to do so. Ten days ago, an opportunity to reach school earlier presented itself. M.M. and her friends usually took the main road. But this day, as they walked, Nka noticed a bush beside the road. It was heavy with Mbe Mbe berries, ripe ones, most of which were a sweet black or deep red. Nka had sharp and observant eyes when she was undistracted by conversation. MM and Asan relied on Nka to spot groups of annoying boys from school, fast cars, and Okara motorbikes careening up the road, Nka giggled and ran to the berries, M.M. and Asan following close behind. They'd eaten several handfuls when Nka noticed the break in the trees to her left, a narrow dirt path. Its entrance was marked by three wooden planks pressing down the foliage. The wood was warped and white with salt as if it had been at the bottom of the ocean. It was Asan's idea to check out the path, she was the most curious, always wanting to know what was going on. Plus, because of their berry eating, they were going to be late, and this path looked as if it went straight to their school. Come on, Hassan said. Hassan and Anka looked at MM. She was best able to swiftly consider all angles of a situation. She cocked her head, then she grinned and nodded. We better hurry. When they crossed the wooden plank, M.M. noticed that their sandals made an odd, wet, trippity-trop-slap, trippity-trop-slap that seemed louder than normal. They walked for about ten minutes in apprehensive quiet, only M.M.'s jingling bracelet breaking the silence. The path was squishy with mud and the air smelled swampy, yet M.M. saw no standing water or pond anywhere. Something hissed softly from nearby. Something else whispered. M.M. assumed the noise came from birds or some other small beast. The clicking sounds were probably insects. M.M. heard bushes and grasses being brushed aside. Three times, large seeds fell from the trees, almost hitting M.M. Maybe it wasn't such a good idea to try the path, M.M. mumbled. A moment later, it started raining. All three of them cursed. It hadn't looked like rain at all when they'd left home. Shh, Asan suddenly said, whirling around. What? M.M. shouted over the sound of rain hitting leaves. I didn't. Quiet, Asan snapped, wiping her wet face. Something's wrong watching us. N'Kah whispered into M.M.'s ear, squinting into the trees. Some things I can see. Their eyes, she gasped, huddling up to M.M. The rain stopped. Wait, M.M. whispered, trying not to push her off. I can't. Asan huddled in, too. What do you see, Nka? M.M. moaned. But N'Ka was too busy looking around to answer. Asan started whimpering, pressing closer. The trees and the humidity pressed close, too. M.M. could feel her own sweat mixing with the rain, water further soaking her school uniform. She grasped her backpack of soggy books more tightly. The bells on her bracelet softly jingled. Immediately, the tree branches above and the bushes before them shook, then, hollering a war cry, about 10 baboons burst through the foliage, a whirlwind of fangs, claws, and brown-gray fur. MM, Asan, and Inka screamed, but didn't run. Instead, they pressed into each other, a mass of brown bodies in navy blue and white uniforms. They burrowed their heads into each other's shoulders, Inka into MM's, MM Emem into Asan's, Asan into Inka's. MM felt one of the baboons yank hard at her bracelet. When the bracelet didn't snap, the baboon gave up. Baboons were crafty, violent, and meat-eating when the urge took them. Children were taught early in life never to play with, feed, or run from baboons. They moved in well-organized packs and had sharp fangs inches long to flee, invited attack. But the baboons lived deep in the forest, so there wasn't much to worry about unless you were young people in a forest and outnumbered. None of the girls saw the baboons pull at their clothes or slap at their legs, nor did they see the beasts finally open the girls' backpacks and take their lunches of chin chin, fried plantain, and sandwiches. M.M. and her friends realized this after the baboons ran off, shrieking in victory. MM, Hassan, and Nka stood there, listening and looking at each other. They started walking. MM felt like laughing, the result of a mixture of intense terror and realizing she was unhurt. They emerged on the far side of the school, stepping off the path into bright, cloudless sunshine. Immediately, their clothes started drying. The path was indeed... A shortcut. MM M. smiled to herself. Completely worth it, she thought. Even if it was a shortcut, they should have been about fifteen minutes late. Instead, they were fifteen minutes early. How this was possible none of the girls could guess. None of them cared. MM M. looked at her friends and they grinned and slapped hands. Nothing good comes easy, MM M. said. That was crazy, though, Nkas said. Ah, ah, I thought we were going to be eaten alive, oh? Hassan said. They laughed. M.M. plucked at her clothes. Nice, she thought sarcastically. Still, she couldn't help but wonder what it was all about. Baboons may be crazy, but there was usually a reason behind their madness. But then again, the baboons had stolen their lunches. But what of the rain? She thought. She shrugged. Near the ocean, weather always did whatever it wanted and no one questioned it. The next day, they took the path again. They hadn't planned to, but in a way they had. After finishing her homework, MM packed her lunch early, taking extra care to wrap her orange and biscuits with paper and a tight rubber band and placing it deep in her backpack. Her friends later told her that they, too, had secured their lunches. However, none of this made a difference when they got halfway down the path. Again, the baboons attacked, scratching and slapping. One of the baboons ran at MM, shrieked, bared its sharp fangs, and turned up its upper lip. MM almost wet herself as she stumbled back, raising her hands to shield herself against the insane creature. The jingle of her bracelet seemed to infuriate it even more, but she didn't know what to do. Again, it started raining, and again, their lunches were stolen. Despite it all, once again, the girls made it to school impossibly early, with nothing more than a few scratches from running through bushes and shoving branches aside. They did this nine days in a row. Each time, the baboons attacked, but the attacks grew progressively worse, too. They'd snap at M.M. and her friends, lash out with their claws inches from skin. M.M. knew that sooner or later, one of them would get seriously hurt. M.M. and Nka would buy little snacks like boiled eggs, cashews, and peanuts to eat during lunchtime. They would share with Asan, who never had enough money to buy lunch. They told no one about their ongoing war with the baboons. It was an unspoken pact between them. But they were not going to let the baboons drive them off their chosen path. Not for anything. It just didn't seem right. And none of them was raised to give up. Especially to stupid baboons. On the ninth day, M.M. realized she was angry. They'd been attacked, as usual, but this time, the baboons didn't even care about their lunches. One of them jumped on M.M.'s back and ricocheted off, pushing her up the path. Another ran up in back and tore at her short hair. Hasan threw her lunch at one of the baboons. They merely stepped aside, hissing their warnings as the three girls ran up the path to school. Who do they think they are? M.M. suddenly shouted during lunch as their stomachs grumbled. This day, she didn't have any money for snacks and neither did Nka. They'd spent the rest of their allowances on lunch the day before. Stronger than we are, Asan said. I don't care, M.M. said. Every day they attack us. Ooh, sometimes I just want to tear their furry hides off. Nka rubbed her eyes. They can bite? So can we, MM snapped, flinging her hands in the air. Her bracelets bells jingled angrily. I'm sick of it. This can't go on, and I'm not going to stop using the path. I'm not going to be driven off by some some idiotic monkeys. Inka nodded rigorously. That would mean they'd win. We shouldn't let them win, she said. Why don't we just hide most of our food in our clothes, Asan said, and let them steal the stuff we keep outside our person? That's stupid, Nkass said, sucking her teeth. You think the baboons won't smell the food on us? How would you like a baboon tearing at your clothes to get some chin-chin? They don't care about the food, M.M. said. And they were tearing at us today. Maybe we should try paying them, Nkass said. So, the next day, when the baboons came running, the three of them held out packages full of orange, mangoes, and udala fruit. This is our payment, M.M. shouted but the beasts kept coming, howling their war cry. The three of them dropped their food and ran down the path to school. Shit! M.M. shouted when they emerged at the school impossibly early as usual. Now what? At lunch, they sat nibbling from small bags of cashews, plotting. Within minutes, they had a new plan. It didn't involve running away or taking the long way to school. No, those days were over. Their plan wasn't complicated either. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all of the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. A great place to begin is Kelly Link's collection of short stories, Get in Trouble, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Her stories are funny, Dark and their fantastic read aloud tales by a bunch of talented narrators. That's Kelly Links. Get in trouble. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. An Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. You can start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text L-E-V-A-R to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Now, let's get back to our story. The next day, as they walked down the path, M.M. could feel her heart beating in her mouth. Her palms were sweaty. She opened her mouth to breathe. The forest felt especially close today. Above, clouds gathered quickly. She held her bracelet silent. Ten days of being robbed and harassed will do strange things to a person. Some people will retreat and withstand whatever hardship they must in order to avoid being robbed again. Some will just stand there, indecisive. Others will go get more people and hope for the protection of numbers. But some, some will stand and fight no matter how unlikely the odds of victory. M.M.'s father was fond of saying that some people carry the spirit of warriors, That this spirit doesn't change just because one is reborn into the body of a tiger, rat, butterfly, tree frog, or even a little girl. That this spirit will always be looking out from within whatever vessel the unknown has placed it within. That it will look upon the world as a place where it will never be dominated. M.M. could relate to this, as she knew her friends could too. Maybe that was what attracted them to the path in the first place. M.M. felt a surge of excitement and anticipation. She was eager. She led the way, then Nka, and then Asan. They carried books in their backpacks. They carried no lunches. They were silent as they walked down the path, backs straight and necks rigid. They listened watching the trees and bushes. They walked for five minutes. This was the farthest they had ever gotten without being attacked. MM laughed and said, I guess they only come when there's food. But then they came. They came faster and harder than ever. There were over 15 of them this time. MM, Nka, and Asan formed a circle, their backs to each other, as they rushed, M.M. felt as if her heart would leap from her chest. Her legs felt like warm rubber. She could hear Asan grumbling something beside her, maybe a prayer. Inka was breathing heavily. M.M.'s perception narrowed. She no longer saw her friends. All she saw were the baboons that came at her, long fangs bared, claws out. They looked twice their size. With their brown-gold fur aggressively puffed up, their orange eyes wide. M.M.'s foot connected with the face of one baboon. It grunted, knocked back. Her fist connected with another's chest. She felt a satisfying crunch. At the same time, she punched another in the head, her bracelet jingling loudly. It started raining heavily. Even as it fell to the side, the baboon she punched managed to snap its mouth dangerously close to her arm. Another sunk its teeth into her left leg. She felt a searing pain in her back as another slashed at her flesh with its claws. She didn't make a sound, her eyes, nostrils, and mouth wide, taking in air, smell, and sight. She kicked and punched and scratched and bit her mouth filled with fur and baboon skin. She spat it out, saliva and blood dribbling down her mouth, her short nails dug past fur to skin to fat to muscle. She screamed a warrior's cry as she stomped hard on the head of the baboon she knocked from her leg. Its head caved in, white, gray brain squishing out. Some got on her sandal, its jelly-like warmth wetting the skin on her foot. She smelled salt, copper, and soil. Every sound was razor sharp. She slapped a baboon away. Instinct told her to run for her life. All she heard was her breathing. Her mouth tasted tangy and bitter. All she saw was the dirt path, bushes and trees to her right and left, her feet splashed through wet, slippery mud. She fell. She got up. She ran. She slapped at branches, stems, and leaves. She felt no pain. Not yet. All three of them emerged from the path onto the school grounds with soiled clothes and ripped school bags. The ground here was firm and dry. The sun was out. They'd been beaten terribly. Asan had a scratch on her forehead that bled heavily into her left eye. Nka's clothes were the filthiest, for she'd rolled on the ground in battle, kicking and grabbing at fur. She still grasped a fistful of bloody flesh and fur in a shaky fist. M.M. was still angry, but she didn't know why. She was just angry. She took a tissue from her school bag, spit on it, and wiped Asan's face. They were still inspecting themselves when one of the larger baboons emerged from the path. Mm stiffened, readying herself. N'Ka and Asan gathered behind her. You want more? Mm said, holding her fists up. Her muddy bracelet jingled strong and true. Mm froze and then looked at Asan and N'Ka with wide eyes. Did you feel that? she asked. Nka was looking at the dirty soles of her sandals, rubbing her forehead. Asan met M.M.'s eyes but said nothing. The baboon stopped and sat on its haunches looking at her. M.M. was sure the others were lurking behind it somewhere. She could hear her classmates talking and laughing in the schoolyard not a half mile away. If the three of them made a break for it, they might be able to outrun the baboon's Would the beasts pursue them so close to so many other human beings? It didn't matter. She wasn't going to run. M.M. frowned. The baboon's fur wasn't puffed out. It looked so small. And as it sat there, looking at them with its golden eyes, it seemed almost pensive and human. M.M. could see a patch of blood on its flank, She hoped she'd been the one to do that. Slowly, other baboons emerged from the path. Some of them limped, dragged an arm, bled freely. Two of them had to be helped along. The one who sat in the middle of the path continued staring at M.M. It was holding something in its hands. M.M. squinted. It was black, very, very black, and about the size of a golf ball. The baboon's hands shook as it held it up. I think it wants to give that to you, Inka said. Hassan laughed. M.M. felt the urge to laugh too, as if she would step up to that huge group of baboons. She wiped her forehead. At the sound of the jingle of her bracelet, the thing in the baboon's hands pulsated just as it had done moments ago. Then, doom. This time, she was sure the ground shook. The deep sound made her teeth vibrate, her skin prickle and the inside of her nails itch. Behind her, in the schoolyard, she heard people exclaim with surprise. Suddenly, the day grew cloudy There was a rumble of thunder in the distance. What is that? M.M. whispered. Go get it, Nka said, pushing her forward. I think we won it. What? M.M. asked, looking back at her. Nka was awed, and despite the blood dribbling from a cut on her chin, she was smiling. We won, she said. I... I think they were guarding something. They didn't want to take our food after all. Not really. They thought we were trying to take that thing. And we won. M.M. looked at the waiting baboons. The thing in the baboon's hands throbbed again, but this time the shockwave it sent was much smaller. Maybe this explained the weird forest and how fast they kept making it to the school. Why me? she whispered. I don't know, Nka said. I think she's right, Asan said. Then you go, M.M. said. Asan shook her head and stepped back. M.M. turned to the baboons. Adrenaline still ran through her veins, as did her warrior's blood. She took a step forward. The next step was easier. Soon she was standing amidst 20 baboons. They smelled of sweat and rain. The baboon holding the object stood up tall on its legs. M.M. held out her hands. Her bracelet jingled, and the object softly pulsated again, this time more gently. The baboon placed it in her cupped hands. It was warm and hummed softly like something charged. It was light as a feather and gave off the slight scent she'd have associated with alligator pepper. Without further ado, the baboons left one by one. M.M., Hassan, and Nka stared at the object. It was like holding a piece of midnight. Mm could see twinkling stars and the vast darkness of space inside it. Nka and, and Asan refused to touch it. We ran back up the path when the rain started, she said. It only made sense to come right home. We didn't know it was going to be a full storm though. Well, thank God you're all right father said. "'You could have been blown away,' I said. The three of us stared at the object on the table. It was making the whole kitchen smell like alligator pepper, and the windows were fogging up from the moisture it exuded. "'I guess this thing is mine,' my sister said, playing with her bracelet and yawning. She picked up her tea and sipped it. "'Whatever?' It is? My little sister looked so exhausted. I wanted to yank off that bracelet and throw it into the ocean. But somehow, I knew the rope wouldn't break. It is an incredibly cinematic story. I love the way Nettie writes. I love the visual imagery. I love the sense of, of fullness that she brings to characterization. I love the sense of time and place and space that she delineates so clearly, so acutely. Um, wow. She is a storyteller's Storyteller, this woman, um, and she is really, really gifted. Masterful, masterful writing. You, you, you definitely feel in in this story that this character, uh, mm, and and maybe even her friends, <laughs> uh, are are going to go on to other great adventures and and do impossibly great things it it is an origin story uh and and it does make sense that she's doing the kinds of work that she's being asked to do the kinds of work uh in in television and and in film um that she's being asked to do these days because she's got that magic she knows she knows how to write the hero's journey she really does and I don't know. I, I I have yet to meet her, but I have to believe just as I believe that that inside of every actor who realizes a, a, an amazing turn in a character and, and you, you look at a performance, you say, wow, that was just that was channeled. I mean, where did that come from? Well, in truth, it came from someplace inside of that person. It came from it came from that actor and that actor using all of their facilities for not just communication but for being open and for for channeling right i in and in, in that same way i believe that the greatness of the characters that writers create springs from some place some well inside of them some ability they have to tap into um, some vast reservoir of truth, um, and, and deliver that to us as story. That's the magic for me. In terms of the inspiration that I like to encounter in storytelling, it's the magic. It's the beauty of humanity that I look for. And, and Nettie really delivers it powerfully in her work. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, and our assistant producer is Audrey No. Editing and sound design by the very talented Adam Dybert, and thank you, as always, to the decidedly unsimian Matt Gorley. And we are enormously grateful to our family at Little Everywhere for their help in producing this episode. And my great thanks today to Nettie Okora 4. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to read your story. You can find it in her collection entitled Kabu Kabu, published by Prime Books. And if you want more Nettie, check out the physical books or the audiobooks of the Benti or Akata series and her novel Who Fears Death? Or if you're into comic books, and who isn't? She's written a Black Panther series for Marvel called Long Live the King. And hey, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, tell us what story you want to hear me read on the podcast. Thank you to all of you who suggested Nettie in your reviews or on Twitter. We'll be back next week with another handpicked story, or if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar, L-E-V-A-R, or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radalette. I'm Lavar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at Lavar Burton and Lavar.burton on Instagram. And for the kids in your life, go to LeVarBurtonKids.com to access our Skybrary app. I'll see you next time, but... You don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I was delighted, I say delighted, to be a guest on this week's episode of Paul F. Tompkins podcast, Spontane Nation. Take a listen to this clip from our conversation. What's like the scariest situation you've been in underwater? Um, I was a member of the first descent expedition team down the Zambezi River in South Central Africa, and in a series of rapids, I fell out of the boat and uh, got sucked in what they call a maytag. It's it's um, a, a hole created by suction where water is moving in two or more directions at the same time. So I got stuck in this hole and and finally spit out and, and then hit my head uh, on, on the boat. I have two questions for you. Yeah. Number one, what is going through your mind as you're in that? Mm-hmm. Number two, did the appliance called Maytag come first or (laughs) is this a fun nickname? It's a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun nickname. Fun fun nickname violent natural event. Yeah, exactly. Listen to me on Spontanea Nation this week and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. You can find both on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening app. The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.